The reading is from Psalm 1 today. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of the Lord. Dear Father, we um, come before you um, in need. We do need you every hour, every moment. Um, And God, we just thank you that you're a God who wants to meet our needs and that you meet us right where we are. Um, And you do that um, maybe maybe in the most visible way, in the most tangible way, through your word um, as we read it. Um, We're comforted as we read it. We're filled as we read it, um, we are guided, and um, we hear your voice. And so, God, um, that's what we pray right now, that, we, that you would meet us um, in your word right now, um, wherever each one of us is, whether we're hurting or had good weeks or bad, um, distracted or focused. Lord, um, you can meet us right where we are. So I pray that you would do that, open our minds and hearts to what you have to say to us in your word. Would you speak to us, um, God? And as we come under your word, um, and Lord, me first and foremost, help me to be in submission um, to your instruction, Lord. And, and, um, and uh, Lord, that's my heart. I know that's our heart collectively. So Lord, yeah, teach us, instruct us. We need you. Fill us up. God, we, we pray this in your name, Jesus. And all God's people said, um, so yeah, we're in our second week um, and our last week of a short uh, mini-series called Why the Bible. Um, and here's some, I thought to start off, here's some mind-blowing stuff about the Bible maybe you did or didn't know. Um, angels don't actually sing and don't have wings in the Bible. Um, when the shepherds look up at the heavenly host, they were looking at a heavenly army, not a heavenly choir. Um, there is no innkeeper, I'm sorry to say. There's nobody, you know, checking in, like um, getting, getting the security deposit for uh, Mary and Joseph. There was nobody who made sure they checked out on time. There was no innkeeper. You can check it out if you want. Um, Yahweh God appeared physically as a man on earth many times before Jesus was born of Mary. Just mind-blowing thing, things about Scripture. Um, after Jesus comes back and everything goes down, he's not going to take you away to heaven. Heaven's going to come here. James, the apostle and the leader of the early church and the other disciple, James, and the writer of James, Jesus' brother, were not named James. Uh, Their names were all Jacob. James was introduced to the Bible in the 1400s with the Wycliffe translation when it was translated to English. James was a 
kind of a weird der- derivation of Jacob, but their names were Jacob. Jacob's a Hebrew name. James is an English name, just so you know. Just a little tidbit, tidbit for Trivial Pursuit someday. Uh, Jesus probably looked more like Adam Sandler and Happy Gilmore than, uh, you know, Chris Hemsworth and Thor. <laughs> and no one really knows if Adam and Eve had belly buttons or not. It's still, still up to debate. Um, do, you, do you really know what the Bible says? Um, do you really know it as well as you think you do? Um, can you differentiate between what you've heard about the Bible and what you've actually read for yourself about the Bible? It's sometimes hard. If you grew up in the church, you've heard a lot of things. You know, I grew up thinking there was an innkeeper. And then one time I heard a whole sermon about an innkeeper, and I never saw an innkeeper in Scripture. It's like, what's up with that? Um, there, there's just things about the Bible we might assume, right? Would it, um, if, if you were stuck in prison and you, were, you, you didn't have access to a Bible um, and you were given a pen and paper, how much of the Bible could you, you know, write down from memory? How much do you know? How much could you copy down? Would it be more than a page or a paragraph? Um, I don't know. I mean, that's, I've thought about that. I don't know if it'll ever happen to me, but I would love to make, write more than a page from my memory um, of what scripture is. We've been talking about the Bible the last couple weeks um, and, and uh, you know, what it is, um, what we think about it, digging in. And um, it's an amazing book because it's about amazing, an amazing God. And it's an inexhaustible book um, because it's about an inexhaustible God. Um, and, uh, and, and last week we considered two different questions. If you were here, if you weren't, I encourage you to listen to the message. But um, last week we considered two questions. First, what is the Bible? And second, um, why the Bible? Why should we read it? Our answer to the first question was that the, uh, the Bible is what it is. It's the best place to know God. It's the best place that we have. It's, it's, it's the thing that God's given us to know him the best. That's what the Bible is. Thus, one of our core pursuits at WCC, um, uh, encountering God in his word. Encountering God in his word. Um, that's a, one of our core pursuits. That's why we're here now. That's why we're doing what we're doing every Sunday morning. That's why we open up the Bible, right? Um, and our first core pursuit at WCC is intimacy with God. And, and truly knowing him, relational knowing. That's where the know, grow, go comes from. So the first thing we want to do is know God. And, and the best place um, we, we can know him, we, we're saying, is, is going through scripture and encountering him in his word. So what is the Bible? It's the primary way to know God. Um, and then we considered why the Bible, why read it. And we talked about, we considered that it's the, uh, because it's the place we can hear his voice. It's the, the loudest and, and the place where we see him and hear him and, and experience him or encounter him. And then we considered a bunch of other subordinate ideas to that. So that was last week. This week, we're going to consider one question. How do we read the Bible? How do we read it? Much more um, practical, maybe. So if you're a note taker um, and you want an outline, here you go. Uh, the main question of the morning is how should we read the Bible? And the three main points or Roman numerals under that would be, number one, uh, read the Bible with delight. Number two, read the Bible humbly. And number three, read the Bible for life. Number one, read the Bible with delight. Number two, read the Bible humbly. And number three, read the Bible for life. And then there's a bunch of other subordinate points under those. My hope and prayer this morning is that we... um, 
that we would all leave with more questions um, and more curious and that we'd want to keep reading because we're hungry, um, that would be great. That's, that's my hope and prayer. And so last week we looked at verse three of Psalm one that Elaine just read for us um, as, as um, the, one of the reasons why the Bible, because we want to be alive. Remember that? And, and be like, being like a tree that's alive, that's planted by water and growing and fruitful and purposeful. Um, but we're going to need to read verse two this morning. We're just going to camp out in verse two mainly um, because verse two is the uh, source of verse three. Verse two is the source of verse three. So we're going to camp out in verse two. Um, Psalm 1, 2 says this, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. How many of you here take delight in reading laws? You know, uh, you know the penal code, you just love reading that. Uh, you love going to the traffic code. You, you've gone to the Windsor website and you're looking at all that stuff. You love it. Um, your family's in watching Stranger Things on Netflix, but you're reading the building code or something um, because that's what you love to do. Um, no. Um, and it's actually, I was, I was writing this in my backyard and I heard a kid say, um, hey, Jake, you're jaywalking. And uh, it reminded me that some people delight in telling other people what the law is. Um, <laughs> Maybe not in reading themselves. I have one of those people in my house. I'm not going to mention who it is. Um, the word translated law in English in the, is the Hebrew word Torah. You've probably heard that. Um, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And the law is not the most, law is kind of not a helpful translation in our context. It has like kind of bad connotations uh, sometimes. Um, but a more helpful translation might be instruction. The law is instruction. The first five books of the Bible are instruction. And there are commands, definitely there are rules and commands that Yahweh God gives down to his people in the first five books. But there's instruction and there's teaching and advice and encouragements and pleadings from Yahweh God to his people. It's like a, it's like a father um, raising a child from zero to 18. There's going to be a lot of instruction that father gives. And some of it's going to be law and some of it's going to be um, encouragements and some of it's going to be gentle words and some of it's going to be um, exhortations and all, all the above, right? And that's very much how I, I believe we should view God's law, his instruction, because you see all of that in scripture, pleading with his people, drawing near to them. If you draw near to me, I'll, I mean, if you draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. Um, words like that, like a father would give. And so we need to think of the law as our daddy, our father speaking to us in his word. And then we can start to delight in it. We can start to delight in it there. So, so Roman number one, we said, read the Bible with delight. Um, that's our goal. I grew up in the church. I only ever read the Bible when I wanted to. The problem is I never wanted to. Never wanted to. Um, it came to me in sermons and lessons, and that's when I'd read it, but I'd never go to it. Um, maybe you can relate to that if you grew up in the church. Um, people do what they want to do, Right? Um, so if you, how often do you read your Bible? I bet you read your Bible every time you want to. Kind of obvious, right? Every time you want to. And if you don't read your Bible, it's probably because you don't want to. And the question is, um, how, how can we want to? How, what's, what's, how do we unlock that? 
And I don't mean wanting to like, you just, just only ecstatic joy running to your quiet time place and, and skipping and always wanting to like that. Because sometimes wanting to is a duty. Like it's, it's okay and it's a spiritual discipline, we call it, when we go to scripture because we know we should and, it, and it's out of obedience. That's, that's not a bad wanting. A duty is not a bad wanting. But I'm want, I long for a, a, a more rich wanting, like a, like a delighting kind of want, wanting. And I don't know if you agree with me, but so, so my question is like, how do I turn the duty into delight? How do I, how do I learn to turn duty into delight? What, what's the formula? What do I do? And I remember asking the a community group um, a couple weeks ago that question. And Aubrey, who we just um, sent off in prayer, said, um, I think it's the Holy Spirit. And I go, dang it, she's right. Um, I want a formula. You know, I want to figure out, like, what do I do? I need to do this, this, and this, and that equals delight. You know, if I could just do it this way. And, um, but she's right. The Holy Spirit, we need the Holy Spirit to fill our sails. We need the Holy Spirit to illumine God's word, right? Or we can't truly in, uh, take joy and delight in it. 1 Corinthians 2 talks all about this. Um, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So he's given us this, and to truly delight in it, we need the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Um, so without the Spirit, we're not going to truly delight. So I'm assuming the Holy Spirit, I'm assuming um, that the Holy Spirit uh, is working in your life. Um, you should read the Bible because you want to. And read the Bible when you want to, either out of duty or delight. But if you find yourself never wanting to, it's not because the Bible needs to change for you. But you need to change in relation to it. The Bible doesn't need to be anything different than it does for you to delight in it. You need to change the way you read it, maybe. You need to change your expectations. And that's what we're going to look at. Um, so how do we adjust our expectations? And change the way we read God's word to want it more. Not only out of duty, but out of delight. How do we read it with delight? And here are some thoughts. Sub points under that first one. Number one, don't just, don't just try to read the Bible. Try to know God. Don't just try to read the Bible. Try to know God. In light of everything we've already considered last week and this week, um, the message isn't read your Bible more. Feel guilty, read more. That's not the message. It's get to know God more. It's our motivation. If, if our motivation is to know God, we'll find ourselves reading the Bible more. It'll happen. The question is, do you want to know God more? James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So the primary question that should drive us as we read is, who are you, God? That's the number one question. Who are you, God, in this passage? How, who are you here? And we'll find ourselves reading it more and delighting more. That's our, that should be our attitude. Number two, read the Bible looking for something. I suspect one of the biggest reasons people are bored with the Bible is that they don't read it looking for anything. What makes you pick up any book at home or, or, um, or watch any show? 
It's, you're looking for something in that book, right? You're, you're actually, you picked it up, you bought it because you want to see something specific. Um, you read the cover, uh, it sounds interesting to you, so you're searching for something that's interesting to you. Um, if you get a magazine subscription, um, you buy it because you want to read it. But sometimes people read the Bible um, with as much interest as maybe browsing magazines in a waiting room waiting for a root canal. Like they're just like, I don't know, Uh, Here's a bunch of stuff here. I don't know. Let's just see what's there. Um, Not that you can't see things in Scripture by just opening it up, but but um, if that's all you did, um, I think we would miss out. So sometimes we need to approach the Bible actually looking for something, just like you would a show or a magazine or any book you pick up. There's a picture um, I want to show. um, The first picture. So this is. uh, kind of a scribble. This is like my Bible. Um, and I wrote down uh, all this mess and scrap, scraps and stuff like that, but I want to explain it. So um, read the Bible looking for something and then make a key in your Bible. And here's what I mean. So I have a key in my Bible. And five years ago, I started this. I wanted to look for um, specific things. So that first squiggly line up there is the first place I started. That's why it's at the top. And I, I wanted to look at where God is in scripture that he wants to be near me. I, I, um, the thought of Emmanuel and um, where God wants to draw near. So every time I see that in scripture, I specifically look through scripture. And every time I see that, I underline it like with a squiggly line. And then every time I look, then I, the next thing I wanted to look at is like the relationship between Jesus and the Father and the, and the Trinity and, and how Jesus is the way to the Father. And every time I see that, I do a, a jagged line under there and so on and so on. And so each one of these is a key for me. So when I, when I go through the Bible, I can see that key and I go, oh, that's the place, or I could find it quickly. And you, it's a way to sharpen your sword, if you will. That's good. You could turn it, uh, you, can, you can put that down because I want people to see how weird I think. But um, I started uh, that about five years ago. And, and when you read the Bible, look for things, patterns, thoughts, and you'll find yourself delighting in it more and more. Number three, get an analog Bible. And these are just suggestions, and, and I'm, 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 I don't want this to be a seminar, um, but I found it really hard to not um, turn it into what it is, so forgive that. Um, but number three, get an analog Bible, maybe, uh, one with pages. Um, it's awesome that we can have a Bible anywhere at our fingertips, um, but I would encourage you to get a Bible made out of paper so that maybe you could, it's easier to study and it's easier to write in um, and it's easier to, to do that um, if that might help you. It's a suggestion. I don't get any notifications when I'm reading this or dings and pings. It's pretty awesome. Um, it's just I can focus on, on what God's saying to me. So it's a suggestion. It's not bad. It's really a good thing, actually. But praise God, with technology, we can have Bibles wherever we want to go. But just an encouragement to you. If you only have a device to read Scripture, maybe think about getting paper to read Scripture on. It's really good. Uh, number four, read the Bible at different speeds and at different magnifications. Okay, check out this picture. So zoom in, really kind of ugly, gross looking bug. Zoom out, it's like on a flower, and then it's slurping, kind of gross. And then there's a guy looking at it, oh, it's a butterfly. Um, And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, 
what scripture is like sometimes. We, when we zoom out, we can really see, when we read it at a, at a magnification that's, that's high elevation or, or not zoomed in, we could see beauty and we could see color and we could see this beautiful like whole picture. But then when we zoom in, it might not always be like a beautiful, attractive thing, but you can see God, like intricacies that you didn't see before. And so, so, so it's an encouragement. Read the Bible at different magnifications and at different speeds. Um, and it's amazing what we can see. Um, some of you have great study Bibles um, or tools that you read the Bible with for background and like archaeological evidence and historical stuff and word searches. That's awesome. And that's all great to read slowly and zoom in, right? To see the, the big picture with the, with the fly or whatever, the, the butterfly. But, but don't just do that because if you just did that, um, you're going to miss the bigger context. You're going to miss the story and some of the color maybe and some of the beauty of, of the whole thing. So, you know, we're about to do a sermon series through First John and, and before September 8th, we're going to read it and Dan's going to lead us through that. And, and I would encourage you before then just to read First John. It's like three pages. It's a letter. Read it in one sitting, like three or four times to get the, get the wings of the butterfly. Just get the picture of it, just how beautiful it is, and, and get the thing, get the vibe, and then maybe read it again. And each time, each time, zoom in a little bit more and go a little bit slower. Zoom in a little bit more, go a little bit slower. Zoom in a little bit more, go a little slower. Number five, read the Bible in threads. Some of you have seen tapestries hanging on walls. Some of you have seen um, been in castles or whatever. Um, have you ever been seen the back of a tapestry? There's this next picture. It looks like just a bunch of a bun, a bunch of threads in going everywhere, and it, you can't see a picture. But if you turn it around, you can see the picture the artist made. Right? Um, one thread you can trace, and so so you can read the Bible in threads, right? Because because there's all these threads going through Scripture um, that make the whole picture. And so it's just a suggestion. One thread you can trace through Scripture is chronological, like like reading the Bible in a year chronologically, cover to cover, and that's that's really good. Um, but you can there's other threads you can you can go from cover to cover. Like um, look at look at. The word sacrifice. Look at, look at um, where you see sacrifice from the first animal killed in the garden to cover Adam and Eve to Jesus. And trace that thread all the way through scripture. Just an idea. Look at, um, look at the temple, starting with the garden and, and like how that garden was kind of like a temple where God met man and, and Genesis and then all the way to the new Jerusalem and Revelation. Look at the priesthood. And this, you don't have to write these down. These are just ideas. You can, you can trace anything. You can look at the word exile and, and trace where God has exiled his people, starting in the garden and then in Babylon. You can look at the image of God. You can look at catastrophic language in the Bible. You could look at kings and covenants and Babylon. You could pick a thread. And, and any thread, you could look at a word. Um, like, for instance, you could look at uh, one of the keys I've done in my Bible is looking at every place where God's um, where, where God is referenced, what his name is in that passage. If it's, if it's um, Elohim or if it's um, El Shaddai or if it's Yahweh, why, why that word there? Why did he choose that? The Bible is very specific. And, and there's reasons that God has um, different names in different verses. And if you trace that thread all the way through scripture, you see God more. You see who God is. And so maybe just uh, different ways to read scripture and you can start delighting in it and therefore him more. Number seven, read the Bible even if you hate reading and stink at it. Um, some of you here absolutely hate books. Some of you here 
um, have only read books in high school and maybe just cliff notes at that. Um, I was like that. I hated reading in school. I don't know if I ever completed one book. Um, and some of you might even have dyslexia or learning disabilities. Um, what are you supposed to do? I mean, God gave us this book. It's a book with words on it to get to know him. Are you just out of luck? Can you just not know God now? Because he decided to give us a book? Why didn't he give us a video, you know? Um, why didn't he give us a comic book, you know? Um, so are you out of luck? So here's some ideas. Um, there's audiobooks, right? There's audiobooks. You can listen on your commute. You can listen while you're mowing. You can listen while you're cleaning or working. And you can read with someone. In the library, there's a book called One-on-One or One-to-One Bible Reading. Um, and and uh, really encourage you to look at that. A lot of our um, people in, in our body are using that to read with another person, read scripture and study it together. And, and sometimes just having another person to encourage you is all you need um, to, make, to, to start delighting in God's word. Because sometimes when you're by yourself, you just don't know where to start. But someone else who's maybe a little bit further down the path than you, and even if you can't read, if you're humble enough and this is a good enough friend, you can ask them to read for you. And then you could... Uh, Go through it with them. It's just, a, it's just an idea. Or thebibleproject.com is an amazing resource online. Thebibleproject.com. They have videos um, with every book of the Bible, a synopsis of every book of the Bible. They have theme videos. They do threads all the way through scripture and biblical theology. And I'd highly recommend them. They're excellent. Those are places to start if, if you're not a book guy or a book girl. Number six, read the Bible with a gospel lens. My favorite definition of the gospel is from John Piper. He says, The gospel of Christ is the good news that at the cost of his son's life, God has done everything necessary to enthrall us with what will make us eternally and ever increasingly happy, namely himself. I love that definition of the gospel. From cover to cover, God is trying to draw people near to himself, to enthrall people with himself. That's the gospel that he wants to bring people, and he's done it at the expense of his own son. Um, 1 Peter 3.18 says this, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Bring us to God. That's, that's, that's what we see in all of Scripture. God wants to bring people to himself, and he does that through Christ. So we need to look at Scripture with that lens. It's the primary overarching lens of all of Scripture. God is the gospel, Piper says in, in his book, um, The Passion of Christ. In the first sentence of the Bible, in, it says, in the beginning, God. And I, I believe that that's where the gospel starts, because we see a God who designs a world to be with, people to be with, that's the good news. And then we, it goes awry, but everything else in the rest of scripture is how he is working to bring us back to himself through Jesus. That's the gospel. That's, how, that's the thread. That's the lens to see scripture. And if you think of each passage, um, here's a question to see that. And it, I, I think this is a great question to ask of scripture. What does God want in this passage? How often do we ask that question? Like when you're reading any passage in scripture, you ask the question, what is God after here? What does he want? We'll find that message. We'll find he wants us and he'll do anything to get us. And he has done everything to get us. It's, that's a great question to ask in every passage you're in. What does God want here? 
Psalm 1, 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So Roman numeral number two. Read the Bible humbly. So all those other things were maybe how we can start delighting in God's word more, seeing it through different lenses, different threads, different angles, right? And now we're in Roman number two. We need to read the Bible humbly. So in this verse we just read, implied in this verse is submission and humility. This person in Psalm 1 who takes his delight in the law of the Lord is becoming a learner. He, he is sitting, he, he is the learner, God is the teacher. That takes submission and humility to admit that you're a learner. Like last week we said, to admit that we're kind of dumb takes humility. That means we need to come under God's word in humility. Um, we are the liquid ones, not the Bible. We don't try to get the Bible to pour into our doctrinal containers, um, our presuppositions, and our constructs. No, we pour ourselves through it. There's a big difference. We adjust to it. We shouldn't read the Bible trying to tame it or subdue it. We should read it to let it be what it is and let it release it. Um, and sometimes we, when we bring our presuppositions in, we, try, we like beat it into submission to, to like our image, like what we want it to say. But we need to let it say what it, it says. That's humility. Um, to let the Bible be what it is. You can't master this book. There is no master class you'll see online of some theologian, maybe your favorite theologian, if he says like, oh, I have a master class and I'm gonna tell you how to read this and I got it all figured out. Maybe you shouldn't subscribe to that one because there's no way to master this book. Um, it's, it's, it masters us. It takes humility. Um, so how do we read the Bible more humbly? A couple points. Number one, read the Bible, letting it be what it is or say what it needs to say. We don't need to apologize for it. We don't need to shy away from the hard parts. When the Bible's violent, it needs to be violent and we need to look at it. Um, there's NC 17 parts of scripture in the Old Testament. And, uh, that are hard to read, frankly. And there is, there is moral confusion sometimes in Scripture. We need to let those things be what they are and not skip them and move on to the nice things that make us feel better. Um, sometimes we need to look there and we'll see God in a new way. If we, if we dare to look, um, let it be what it is. Um, one of my favorite points I took away from a book I read um, a decade ago. It's called The Gospel According to Moses. There's some bones in it. It's not all great, but there's a couple points that I love. And one is I remember um, it's, he said, um, God loves an honest question. And when you come to a section of the Bible that's difficult, ask a question of God. Ask, why God? Why is this here? And if he can't stand up to that question, then he's not worthy of our worship. If he can't stand up to our questions, then, then he's not God, right? Look at like Abraham in Genesis 18, you know, when God's about ready to take out Sodom and Gomorrah, he, he asks God this question that I don't think we're, we're usually brave enough to ask. God, won't the judge of all the earth do what's right? How could you do this, God? How could you do this? Why, why God, do you, do, we, do you seem to turn the other way when your people are polygamists 
in the Old Testament? Or why are these whole people groups devoted to destruction? Or why did Nadab and Abihu get struck down? Um, is God loving? Is God in control? Is God good? Um, if God can't stand up to those questions, um, I mean, there's a reason they're here. If he can't stand up to those questions, he's not worthy of our worship. And so we need to let the Bible be what it is. And that's a way to read it humbly. Number two, read the Bible cross-culturally. Read the Bible cross-culturally. Here's, a, here's another picture for you. Um, it's all about perspective. Right? Depends on where you are. You know, this guy once, he's like been on the desert island forever. A boat, let me out. And this guy's been on the boat forever. Land, I can't wait. And uh, that's, that's kind of like... Uh, when we approach scripture, there's different ways and different lenses and different approaches we can look at it. We are modern Western people, um, and it's the world we live in. It's where God put us providentially. Um, uh, Acts 7, or not Acts 17, yeah, I think it talks about God providentially putting us where he wants us to be so that we might see him. And he providentially put us here in, in this place, in this time. But the Bible is an ancient Near East book. It's written 2,000 plus years ago in the ancient Near East in Israel around the Mediterranean. And it's a different culture in a different age. And so reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. Um, we need to be good tourists. You wouldn't go to another country and not do a little bit of research and not kind of figure out some of the customs and should you you take off your shoes when you walk into a room or should you wear this thing or should you, um, why would we do that to the Bible? Why would we just come in with our Western modern eyes and not appreciate the context? Um, so it's just one way we, we can approach the Bible humbly, right? Is to do the work of understanding this cultural context. Um, where um, we modern Western people look for precision in the Bible. Here's some d differences between Western and Eastern, right? We look for precision. You know, we're scientific. We're industrial age. We, we want precision sometimes when the Bible's not trying to give us precision. We can't assume that all prophetic poetry in the Bible um, is trying to give us a newsreel footage, but more like an impressionistic painting sometimes. That every every image is a one-for-one -one translation to something that we would understand in our Western culture. We can't assume that. The Bible doesn't, the authors don't try to do that because in the ancient Near East, they didn't, they didn't do that like we do. The Bible's not always written chronologically. Genesis 1 and 2 are not written chronologically. Genesis 10 and 11, you can keep on going. There's a bunch of parts, parts of the Bible that aren't chronological. They're written backwards. Why? Because they don't think chronologically all the time. They, they thought in themes and, 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 and um, threads not chronologically. Western thinkers zoom into details. Eastern thinkers go wide and, and to see context. If I asked you all to describe this thing, um, you guys would probably say it's a tall, skinny, brown thing made of wood. It's, it's made of wood. If I asked the Eastern thinker what this thing is, they said it, it's a thing to hold up books so that you can preach without using your hands. And the difference is Western thinkers tend to like look at details and describe uh, physical uh, features. Eastern thinkers um, think of function. What's the function of this thing is the most important thing to an Eastern thinker, not the way it looks. Western thinkers want to see what it looks. So we're all about precision. How did God make the world? Did he do it this way? Did he do it that way? Did he do it that, that way? But maybe the, maybe the Genesis 1 and 2 are not about how he made the world, but who made the world. A good book to read for this is called Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. I just started it. 
So the first third of it's good. Um, if the last two thirds of it's bad, don't blame me. I haven't read it yet, but you know, read it with caution. But it's misreading scripture with Western eyes by Brandon uh, J. O'Brien and E. Randolph Richards. It's really good. Number three, read the Bible in context. Assume the author of the Bible wasn't trying to give you one-liners, um, tidbits you can put on bumper stickers and plaques. Assume there's a bigger story. So a humble way to come under God's instruction is to work at understanding the immediate context of the, of the passage, like in this verse, and then, and then the larger context of the book, and then the larger context of the Bible. We have to read the Bible with the Bible. Let the Bible interpret the Bible. Um, how did the New Testament authors quote the Old Testament? Whatever, and how did they use it? And however they interpreted it is how we should interpret it. Um, many of the New Testament writers thought they lived in the last days. Were they deceived? Um, I don't think so. We need to read the Bible like they did. They're, we have to assume that they knew how to interpret it because God was inspiring them. Um, there you go. That's how to read the Bible humbly, those three points. So does that seem like a lot so far? I mean, yes, it does to me. There's, I mean, I'm just struggling to like, how, how could it fit all this? And um, Are you more discouraged now than when you came in? I hope not. Here's the deal, here's the deal though. Um, here's an encouragement, hopefully. We're not meant to catch everything and do everything and trace every thread and read all the context and define every word in every sitting. It's too much. And when we read the Bible expecting that in every sitting we're going to master each passage, we have the wrong expectation of the Bible. And that brings us to our last big point, Roman number, number three, read the Bible for life. Psalm 1-2, again, but his, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. We're to meditate on it day and night for life. That's the idea. And if you think all this is daunting, it is. If you if you take it all in one big chunk, right? But it's thrilling at the same time. It's like a marriage. Um, marriage is for life. Day in, day out, till death do you part. On your wedding day at the altar, if someone were to download every experience and image and interaction you'd have with your spouse in the next 50 years, in that moment, you wouldn't go through with it. It would be too much. Marriage is a day-by-day thing. The Bible is our companion. There's so many metaphors. I mean, this could be like a 30-week series, right? There's so many metaphors to look at. But the Bible is our companion. It's our life partner. It's with us through thick and thin, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, till death do you part. Notice that in verse 3, it doesn't say he is like a chia pet or he is like a weed or he is like a tomato plant, things that grow quickly, things that just grow quickly and then die. It says, no, he is like a tree. Trees grow very slowly. Um, They go through droughts. Um, This tree yields fruit in its season, and there are seasons in life. Life is hard. 
Some of us know that all too well in the last few weeks. There are long, cold winters where there's no fruit. There are droughts where the river is dry. There are springs where it looks good and you start to bud out and then, and then a freeze comes and then you lose all your blossoms and then there's no fruit that season. And you have to settle for another year of no fruit. You need a companion. We need a companion for all that. We need a comforter. We need something real, something honest, something to give words to our pain. We need the Bible. It's God speaking through us, through this to us. We need it because we need him. But when you zoom back, and when you zoom back on the lifespan of a tree, like the light, a time lapse, they still grow in spite of all that, um, as long as they're by water. They'll eventually bloom again, and the branches will reach out again. The Bible is your water. The Bible is your sun. The Bible is your soil. The Bible helps you take the poisonous fumes of life and turn it into air to breathe. The Bible helps you be shade for others. The Bible helps you be fruit for others. This is for life. It's not for one sitting. It's for a lifetime of sittings, a lifetime of walkings, a lifetime of... A lifetime... Is, are you rooted in this? Is this your companion for daily life? Or just a periodic source of devotional nuggets from time to time? Number one, read the Bible to delight in it. Number two, because, number one, because we're knowing God and delighting in him if we delight in this. Um, number two, read the Bible humbly because we're coming under our Father's instruction. And number three, read the Bible for life because he is the source of our life. We're going to um, come to the table now where we remember the living word that this written word speaks of and points to. Jesus, the living word who took on flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus, our true companion. Jesus, who willingly crushed, who, um, who was crushed to bring us to God. Again, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That's what this book's about. From Adam and Eve, abandoning God in the garden, to Revelation when he comes back in his glory to bring us home once again. This written word is the one unified story that leads to Jesus. Our living word, that he might bring us to God. That's what we're here to remember. Um, so let's take time to remember that. Remember his sacrifice. He's the one who delights in you. He's the one who humbled himself for you and us and me. And he's the one who's your true companion, our true companion. So just take some time, reflect on however the Lord leads you. Um, Confess sin to him. Um, there's no need to feel guilty um, if you, you know, maybe convicted. Um, if you haven't been in his word as much as you think you should have. 
but confess that and, and know that he is a God who's quick to forgive and he, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins if we confess it and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So take some time, consider, think, think about your living, the living word who died for you. And uh, when you're ready, come up and take the elements back to your seats and then we'll all take them together. these words. May they be an encouragement to us as we go out into the weak, scattered worshipers. Um, it says this in Jude, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, have a great week. Um, searching, uh, looking to him, knowing him uh, in his word.